chapter 18. John chapter 18. We were looking at our Lord Jesus before Pilate, who, humanly speaking, had great authority over all in that region and had the final say of life or death. And as he's speaking to our Lord, uh, he has no power before our Lord except for that which is given to him. But the power which is given to him, our Lord is submitting to. I want to draw your attention to what our Lord says in verse 36. Pilate is making reference to the fact that the Hebrews have not only rejected Jesus as the Messiah, as their Christ, but that they have condemned him. They have condemned him to die. And Pilate, in a very real sense, is simply the um, governor, if you will, the one ruling the region, since the Hebrews don't have final authority in their own region. And see, what they wanted Jesus to do was to get rid of this. What they, it's really remarkable when you think about what the Hebrews wanted was for Jesus to get rid of Rome. Basically, to get rid of Pilate. And since Jesus wouldn't get rid of Pilate, they're going to use Pilate to get rid of Jesus. It just shows you how dishonest man is in our own hearts. So when he says to him in verse 35, Pilate says, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me, what hast thou done? Now, what I want you to notice is that that's not what Jesus responds to. He doesn't say what he's done. What he says is this, and I want you to, if you mark in your Bible, and I spent a great deal of time marking in my Bible when I was younger. Uh, I don't do it as much anymore because I can't see well, so I actually use electronic media now mostly uh, to study But it says in uh, verse 36, my kingdom. Just underline my kingdom. My kingdom. In a little while, he's going to be crucified. And one of the two thieves is going to say, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. It's really remarkable. If Jesus never looked like the king of kings and lord of lords, if he ever didn't look like that, it's while he was hanging on the cross. And yet the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal to us who Jesus is is so, so evident that this thief looks at Jesus whose beard has been pulled out, who is bleeding to death, who was not strong enough to carry his own cross that he was crucified on, and to look at him and say, Lord and kingdom. It's amazing, the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the power of the Holy Spirit. You have no idea how far away we would all be from God if it were not for the drawing power of the Holy Spirit. If it were not for God opening our eyes and taking us out of the kingdom of darkness and putting us into the kingdom of His dear Son, we would all be lost and undone. For we would not see left to ourselves. My kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. Well, that's pretty easy to realize when you just read the headlines. Yes? My kingdom is not of this world. 
And when he's, he's not saying he's never going to rule over this world, by the way. He's saying my kingdom is not of this world. The kingdom that God has called us to, the kingdom that God has for us, Chris just sang a song talking about the fact that it won't be long. You know, there are many that have gone before us, many that we love that have gone, and we look forward to seeing them. But most of all, we look forward to sitting before our Lord Jesus and worshiping Him evermore. Amen? And that's what we'll do in that kingdom. There's service in that kingdom. It's, the Bible's very clear. I have no idea what service in that kingdom it will be like. I really don't. But I do know what service in this kingdom looks like. And that's what we're going to see together today. But I want you to notice three times in verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. So make no doubt about it. Jesus is making it very clear to Pilate, you rule here, but you do not rule over my kingdom. Now what's really remarkable is we've all heard the song, he could have called 10,000 angels. When he says my servants would fight, he's not talking about Peter, right? We've all seen Peter with a sword in his hand and it's a scary sight, amen? Never give a fisherman a sword. So, and, you know, and the Navy takes us, we have, a, we, have a, we have an elite group of men in the Navy who are, who are fit for combat, but the average sailor ought not hold a gun. Amen. That's, you know, and those of us that were in the Navy, I was in, the, you know, the aviation community. I worked in a lab all the time, and, uh, and I was a good shot. I grew up hunting in, in, in Vermont, and I'm a great shot, but I remember thinking, oh, please don't give the average sailor a gun. Amen. No. We have an army for that. Amen. And we have an Air Force, and, we, and again, the Navy has people in it who are supposed, who are qualified to do that. But listen, the church has no sword. We don't need a sword. Because that's not why we're here. That's not why we're here. If God needed someone to defend him, it wouldn't be you. And it wouldn't be me. That's not what our Lord's kingdom is about. If the servants were going to fight, Michael would come and fight. Angels would come and fight. We see, if you open your Bible, if you study your Bible, a single angel destroys an entire army. And he only stops because he stops. Destroys the entire army and they're all dead and the only reason he doesn't continue is because he's done. One angel would, could literally wipe out all seven billion well-armed, by the way, people on the planet. That's not what God wants because God didn't come to destroy the world. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's the ministry God has called us to. I'd like to show you something if you'll turn to me uh, for just a couple of moments, we're going to read an extended passage. It's in Matthew chapter 25. I don't know that I have to make very many comments because I believe it will speak for itself. It starts in uh, verse 31. So Matthew chapter 25 begins in verse 31. If you have a red letter Bible, you'll notice that all of it's in red, long before we get to this point, by the way. We're going to start in verse 31 and we're going to read to the end of the chapter. And before we read, we're going to pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I acknowledge, I acknowledge personally that your word is quick and powerful. You say it is, and I'm very aware of this. Your word does not need my help. But Lord, we need your word. And we need your Holy Spirit to show it to us. And so Lord, bless the reading of your word. Bless whatever exposition you'd have me to give. But Father, may we lay hold not of what I would say, but what you say. 
Lord, may we understand, each and every one of us understand what it is to be a new creature, what it looks like to be living in this world, preparing for the kingdom that is to come. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations. And he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit what? The kingdom. The kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then shall the righteous say unto him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered, fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Insomuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was a hungered, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not. Sick and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto thee, Insomuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto eternal life. When you read this passage, it causes you to realize that living in the world in which we live today, what God would have us to do is actually very, very simple. And actually, it's very, very easy. But we don't have a heart for it unless we're new creatures. When I went to see Rhonda Dix on uh, 
Saturday morning, yesterday morning, when I went to see her yesterday morning, uh, she was still at the hospital. She was still at uh, Virginia Beach General Hospital in the oncology department, and she got a really good report, by the way. And I was telling her that I was quite sure she was going to see Karen Button uh, later on that day. But I didn't call her Karen. I called her Rhonda. I said, I'm sure you'll see Rhonda a little later. And I said, I mean Karen. And then we were continuing to talk, and I said something else about Karen, and I used the name Rhonda again. Now, I don't do this all the time, but I do this almost all the time with my daughters, Rebecca and Amanda. Now, you might think I got those right, but I might have been picturing one when I said the other as I was doing that. And I do it a lot. I do it, I mean, I, constantly. I don't know why I do it. I sometimes will use one of my daughter's names when I'm talking to my wife. Um, but I don't do it as a rule. But what I realize is, now, in my mind, while Amanda and, and Rebecca are separate people, I have a very much the same relationship with them and the same heart toward them. And what I realized in making this mistake is that because of Karen's continual care for a woman she didn't even know a couple of years ago, and I'm talking a really deep love and care, I have grown to put Rhonda and Karen as almost the same person in my mind. But see, Rhonda's not saved, excuse me, Karen's not saved by her love for Rhonda by her going to see her in the hospital, by her bringing her food, by her taking her to her doctor's appointment. She's not saved by those things. But I think there's an evidence that she's a new creature by these things. Now, don't get me wrong. Our lives can be full of religious works and not be saved. It's possible that that be true. But according to this passage, it's not possible that we be a new creature and have no good works in our lives. Do you see what I'm saying? So what's your, what's your life like? You see, it doesn't really matter how much you say about Jesus. Has he changed you? Has he really changed you? There are people in this group, Jesus is dividing them. Well, what are they doing in the group? And the answer is they all profess to be followers of Jesus, right? right? He's the shepherd, and they're all in the same group standing in front of him, and he's doing what with them? What's he doing? Separating them. By what measure is he separating them? And the answer is, well, those that had faith are on one side and those that had unbelief are on the other side. Well, that's, that's true, but that's not how it's explained to us, is it? How, so how is it explained to us? Now listen, you can say the actual events if you want to, but here's the word. The word that comes down to is this, servant or minister. And how does he say this? So, um... Do you believe that when Karen goes and ministers to Rhonda, that she's ministering to Jesus? It's an awesome thought. And guess what Jesus says about that? It's exactly what she's doing. What God has for us in 2018 is a life of service. It's a great big world that is so hurt right now by such hatred and division. And what they need is someone that will show them the love of Christ. Not talk about the love of Christ. Live the love of Christ. Who will feed them and give them drink. Who will clothe them 
and visit them, who will meet the needs of their hearts, who are not interested in fighting for this present evil world, but simply want to walk with the one who laid down his life for all of us. Now, we talk about this a great deal here. And it appears to me that God is working in our lives as a church family, that it's becoming a a real, genuine reality. It isn't perfect, though. I mean, it will never be perfect unless you guys are going to replace me. And if you're going to replace me, you might want to replace you, too, by the way. (laughs) At at which point, I think think on... uh, um, I was trying to think of a time the church has nobody in it. Monday night, I think there's nobody here Monday night. Monday night, um, the, the, the church building is doing pretty well as far as not having anybody in it hurting anybody else. Amen? There's no selfishness here on Monday night because none of us are here on Monday night. But if you're here with us this morning, if you're a member here this morning, I want you to know that God wants you to be able to come to a church where we feed each other, give each other drink, where we clothe each other, meet the needs of one another. But not just each other, where we do this to those that we run into. You know, Malcolm was commenting this morning in prayer that one of his uh, co-workers that he cares a great deal about, and we've prayed for him, he's mentioned his name a number of times, that he lost his job, that his co-worker lost his job. And that he had been, was made to leave the company. And Malcolm was making reference to him being gone and how much he cared. And, and, and the men said, you know, basically he was fired because he deserved to be fired. He had done some, something he shouldn't have done, something really bad. They said, why do you care? And Malcolm said, because he left without Jesus. Because he left without Jesus. See, that's what matters. R.W.'s being gone, Bonnie's mom being gone, again reminds us, doesn't matter whether you're young or whether you're old, it's going to be over in a short period of time. We're not going to be here that much longer, and I thank God for that, by the way. I mean, I was listening to Chris's song, and I don't know, I mean, I am, I am, so, <laughs> I am so looking forward to being with Jesus and there being no sin. I am really so looking forward to that. But I'm still here, and so are you. And what is our life to be like? What is your life going to be like? We cannot help people in our own strength. We, we can't, right? I mean, that's one of the things Malcolm was saying also in his prayer this morning. He you know, one of the, the paradox, the paradox of being a born-again Christian is this. You know that in you, that is in your flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. And, and by the way, if you're born again, you're just reminded of that over and over and over and over and over again, right? I mean, every single one of us spends some part of every day, I think, living in Romans chapter 7 for at least a couple of minutes where we want to do the right thing and we find that we don't have the power to do that, which is the right thing. But, but, but God would not have us to live in Romans chapter 7, but in Romans chapter 8, where we don't walk after the flesh anymore, 
but we walk after the Spirit instead. And we let the Holy Spirit do through the vessel what you and I are incapable of doing with the vessel. Amen? Do you understand the difference? You and I, with the vessel that God has given us, have not been able to love one another, but the Holy Spirit is able to work through this vessel, even this vessel. Even through me, God can do loving things. Isn't that wonderful to know? Even through you, God can do loving things. Right? And when we do it, when we do these things, it honors him. But here's what it really does. It demonstrates that there's life, that you're really a new creature. Coming to church, getting dressed, coming to church, being baptized, joining the church, there's nothing wrong with those things. There are many right things about those things, but that's not what God wants for us. What he wants for us is to be able to be new creatures and not just to have our sins forgiven, but to be conformed to the image of Christ by the Spirit of God within us, that when people see us, they don't see us. They see Him instead. Yes? Christ in you, the hope, the expectation of a glorious life. This is what God wants to accomplish in our lives. This is what God has for us as we enter into 2018. Um, There are people here today um, who don't come all the time. There are a lot of people here today aren't here today, by the way, who do come most of the time. But there are people here today who don't come all the time. And I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. And I hope you'll keep coming. I really mean that. But I hope you'll keep coming because you want Jesus to work in your heart to such a degree that he changes you into the man or woman that he would have you to be. And I invite you, all of you, to to work together here so that we can help our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren to see the greatness of our God, listen, not in sermon, but in action. Do you understand? This, this time is necessary. The preaching is necessary. The morning service is necessary. But men, come to the Thursday night study. Come to the Saturday morning, every Saturday morning at 8 o'clock. We're going to change it this year, I think. I think we're going to, I'm not sure. I, I, I'm not saying this uh, authoritatively right now. I'm still saying it um, kind of in my heart, uh, considering. But I think what we're going to do is we're going to take the Saturday morning 8 o'clock prayer and, and turn it into a time not just for the men that come typically, but for men and boys, any men and boys, to gather together. Probably what we'll do is we'll make a big circle. What we do on Thursday night, we make a little circle on Thursday night. On a Saturday morning, we meet in the classroom, large classroom. Maybe what we'll do is we'll just start meeting in Johnson Hall, and we'll just sit in a circle. Maybe we'll have a donut. Maybe we won't. I, what I find is this. If you have food, you get a bigger crowd. <laughs> but I think we need to get together to get together. Okay? And, we, and here's what I realize is this. Getting together with our young men doesn't guarantee that it will change their lives. But if we don't get together with them, I guarantee we won't change their lives. But something will. Something will. Something will take the attention of our young men and our young women, by the way. Something will. Something will take their lives. Something will take, and when I say take their lives, I don't mean take their lives from the earth. I mean take away the time of their life doing something. They're going to give themselves to something. I'm not wanting them to give themselves to religion. I'm wanting them to give themselves to Christ. I want them to know how wonderful he is. Amen? Again, we wrestle not with flesh and blood. You don't have to fight to serve Jesus. You don't. 
Now, it is a warfare, but it's a spiritual warfare. And here's the interesting thing. I'm telling you, it, was, it would be so much easier, and I've seen fundamental Baptists do this for a long, long time. It would be so much easier to argue and fight and say that you're championing the cause than to humble yourself and serve. But what is Jesus telling us in this passage? I mean, right? I, we, I just read it. What did Jesus say? I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I didn't have any clothing and you gave me some clothing. I was sick or I was in jail and you came to visit me, right? Very simple things, but they're humiliating things. And by the way, they are things that can't be reciprocated. Do you understand what I mean when I say they can't be reciprocated? Everybody wants to minister to rich people or to people that can do something for you. You understand? But the people that Jesus is making reference to, they don't have anything. So you minister to them, there's nothing they can give you back. That's what ministry is. See, ministry is not to give to get something back. Ministry is to give. Now, by the way, let me say this. And I think I'll close with this. Well, let's turn there. Turn to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9. If you were in Sunday school class this morning, uh, uh, Glenn Mongol preached from this passage. If you come to the men's meeting on Saturday morning, then you'll know that we looked at the chapter before this yesterday morning. We looked at chapter 8. First Samuel, Second Samuel, excuse me, Second Samuel, chapter eight. We were there yesterday, uh, and chapter nine is what Glenn preached out of this morning. Now, curiously, as I was uh, getting ready to come in yesterday morning for prayer, because I wasn't here, I was out of town last week. I didn't know whether we were going to be because we're just going one chapter at a time. Uh, so I didn't know whether we were going to be in chapter eight or chapter nine because I didn't know whether the men met last week or not. And so I did both chapter eight and chapter nine. And when I got here, we were in chapter eight. And I was thinking when we were looking at chapter 8, because my mind, I don't have a great memory, but I can remember one chapter earlier. In chapter 7, when I'm gonna, you have to look at it later. We don't have time to look at it today. But in chapter 7 of, of, uh, of, of Samuel, chapter 7 of 2 Samuel, what you find is this. God has united the kingdom under David finally. David was anointed king a long time before he was king at all. And he was anointed king a long time before he was king over all of Israel. But in chapter 7, he's king over all of Israel. In chapter 8, God is going to secure the borders of all of Israel. And so not only is Israel going to be at peace, but Israel is going to conquer everyone on its border that would have war with Israel. And by the way, in the chapter, you can look at it yourself, in chapter 8, there are some people beyond the bordering countries who are going to come to the assistance of the border countries and God is going to conquer them also. Not, not keep them. He doesn't conquer them to keep them. He just conquers them to cause them to understand do not come against Israel even by coming to the aid of a nation close to Israel or I will defeat you because I'm going to give my people peace. But what I want you to notice is what does God do in the lives of those who are not only secure, but their borders are secure. And when you were saved by the blood of Christ, not only were you made secure, but the borders of your life were made secure. Nothing can get to you anymore. If you're a new creature, nothing can get to you, right? Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He will not let his enemies have victory over you. If you're a child of God, whatever is going on in your life is of God for your good. Your enemies cannot take you down, praise God, because you are his. And that's what God wants you to understand. So what does that look like? And the reason I make reference to it this morning is because what it looks like is found in chapter 9. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9, and David says this. And David said, is there yet any left in the house of Saul? Now, Saul is not David's friend. He should have been, because David was the greatest warrior that Saul had, and David was the anointed new king. 
But Saul wanted to keep his kingdom and his pride caused him to hate David with a malice that makes no sense at all. But what he says is this, is there any left in the house of Saul that I may show him what? See, isn't it simple? Isn't it simple? Yes or no? Isn't it simple? What, what would God have the children of God to do? He says, be ye perfect as your father is perfect. And somehow we have mistaken that to mean don't have any fault in your life. Don't have any error in your life. And that's not what it's saying. What it's saying is to be like God. Well, how is God? God loves his enemies. God would rescue his enemies if his enemies would let, them, let him rescue them. That's our God. You see, that's our God. And we have the privilege, the wrath of God is not revealed from the church. It's not. The wrath of God is not revealed. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. When God wants to bring wrath, guess what? He will rain down wrath. But the wrath of God is not revealed through the church. What is revealed through the church? And it says the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So what God will do in our lives, as I trust him, God, as you trust him, as we trust him, God will allow us to be able to minister. What a bizarre way of showing the glory of God. God will allow us through ministry to demonstrate the righteousness and the power and the grace and the goodness of God through humbling ourselves and ministering to others. And so you can say freely to anyone, I'd like you to know my God. My God will set you free. And they can be angry at you. They can be mad at you. They can hate you. They can, whatever they want to. That's fine. That's fine. Because that's between them and God. Do you understand? But all you need to do is just to tell them, I'd love you to know the God. Boy, I tell you what. I am so glad that somebody told me. I am so glad. You know, Glenn was saying, as Glenn was saying in the Sunday school lesson, uh, he was, he, you know, in this passage, right? We all know, we all, the kids sing the song, right? We all know um, Mephibosheth. Right? He leaves Lodabar, never to return. I love that part of the song. Never, never, you know, cross over that bridge. He left Lodabar and never went back, praise God. Right? Where did he go? Where, by the way, he was given a great deal of land. He was given a great deal of land, and somebody else took care of the land, and the land took care of the entire extended family, but not Mephibosheth. Where did Mephibosheth eat from then on? Where did he eat? Anybody know? The king's table with the king's children. Praise God. Amen. You and I do not belong at the king's table. But we have been invited to eat at the king's table. Yes? And here's what God would have us to do. Go invite others to come and eat at the king's table. But we can't bring them to the table. Only the king can. Right? Mephibosheth had to meet with David. A servant went and got him. And brought him into the presence of David. And he fell on his face, which is exactly what somebody in his position should do, which is what everybody needs to do. Everybody needs to meet Jesus, and they need to fall down as a dead man in front of him and let him reach over and touch him. And by the way, it's in verse 7. And David said unto him in verse 7 of chapter 9 of 2 Samuel, fear not. The same thing that Jesus says, fear not. Amen? Get up, Mephibosheth. Get up. Get up. Because I will surely show thee kindness. Amen? I will surely show the kindness. For Jonathan's sake, by the way. For Jonathan's, why? Because he loved Jonathan. And here's the good news. God the Father is going to show you and I kindness because he loves the Son. Because of what Jesus has done for us, God the Father will reach down and touch you and I and say, go ahead and get up. And you can come eat at my table from now on. You don't have to eat anywhere else. I will take care of you from now on. Amen? This is what God gives us the opportunity to be involved with. 
Now, whether we're going to do it or not, you know, it really it comes down to this. Uh, I guess the question is, are you a sheep or are you a goat, right? Right? I mean, that's the passage. I didn't, I'm not, you know, I'm not putting that in. I'm just telling you. One of the things I've come to realize is there are people that go to church who are still living completely selfish lives. But if you're a new creature, I just want to help others, right? Can't earn my salvation. Can't earn my salvation, right? I didn't, I was living in Lodabar. I was living an outcast, right? If you were here for the Sunday school class, Lodabar means without pasture, not without a pastor, without pasture. In other words, it means it's a place that was a nowhere place. And by the way, he was living there. The same reason I was living in a place that had no pasture, because I didn't want God to find me. And there's so many people that you are around all the time who are afraid to meet God because of the sin in their life. And so they pretend there is no God because of the sin in their life. But you can tell them this, look, there is a God, but you need to meet him. And you need to meet him now because he's not against you. He's for you and he wants to forgive you. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for such a great salvation. Lord, help us to help others. We are aware of our own powerlessness. But Lord, we would, we would walk, Lord, not in weakness of the flesh. Lord, not in the frustration of the flesh. Not in the anger of the flesh. Lord, not in the selfishness of our flesh. But Lord, we would walk in the power of the Spirit of God. In the, in the power of love and grace, of meekness, of humility, of, of care and kindness. Lord, we would, we would. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that's not, that's not saved, that needs you to give them the forgiveness of sins, Lord, I pray that they would not leave without asking for that, Lord, that they would, that they would say to me or someone else that they trust, can you help me? Can you help me? I really need this Savior that you were just talking about. I need the forgiveness of sins. And then, Father, those that are your children, it isn't really up to me to convince them this morning to walk with you, Father. It's just up to me to point out what you say in your word. Lord, it is the power, it is the, it is the actual responsibility of your own Holy Spirit to work in their hearts that they would say, I need to stop being, I am a new creature, and I cannot live selfishly. I must not live selfishly. I must be willing to be used of God. Lord, I ask you to accomplish these things. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. We praise you in Jesus' name, amen.